Hello, and welcome to Interaction Presents This Is Where We Play, the podcast. I'm your host, Hilary Ladd, and I'll be joining you here each week with an interview with one of our students, past and present, some of their parents, teaching artists, members of our community, basically anybody who's got something to say about how interaction has had an impact on their lives as artists and creative people. Enjoy. Let me make it official. Oh, my Hello and welcome to the podcast. Interaction presents. This is where we play. How's it going? Yay! Good. How are you? Good. How would you like to introduce yourself? Would you like to tell us your name and pronouns today? Oh man, my name is Deidre. I use he/him pronouns, or they/them pronouns, or she/her pronouns. Whatever pops into your head first. <laughs> You are such a conundrum. I have known you as so many configurations and you keep on becoming a more and more authentic version of you, which is like the coolest part to witness. Cause like I met you as a 12 year old boy named Mitchell. That's true. You did play piano and you never cease to surprise and amaze me. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your experience at Interaction and like what it was like growing up here? Well, first, let me say I'm flattered uh, that you are, or that you invited me here to talk today. I'm super excited. I'm so glad. <laughs> um, growing up at Interaction, I guess with Interaction, not at Interaction, but uh, alongside it, uh, has really been an amazing experience. It was one of the areas where I never felt scared to hide who I truly was because what is interaction except for an eclectic band of weirdos banding together to do creative things? Precisely. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, and it, it's really, it was a really good place to kind of explore not only my interests and my passions, but myself. It, it was never somewhere where I felt I had to hide who I was, especially I, I know that I did take private lessons, but I was also involved a lot in the, in the, the summer camps. I think I was there for what, seven years or something. I like, I couldn't count to be honest. I started when I was, well, I started when I was 12. <laughs> was yeah, the first okay. year I did the summer camp. And then I went until I was 17, 10 years. Wait. Not 10 years. That's not how math works. That's not how math works. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 10 yeah, no. <laughs> 12 plus uh, 12. Okay, so that's five. Five years, five years. Five years, yeah. That's how math works. Mm. Um, thank you. Ah. This is why I went into social science and not math. Fair. Uh, um, but I remember I think the year that I started going to camp was the year I around the time that I first started transitioning um, because for those of you who don't know uh, I was assigned male at birth um, and for four years going into high school I lived my life as a trans woman uh, and then towards the end of high school, I kind of had another 
epiphany about gender, but we can get into that later. Um, but I was ne I never felt afraid of interaction like I did going into like the school system or coming out to family to say, please use she, her pronouns. And I, this is my new name. You know, I, I now go by Kylie or I now go by Daedra, but at the time I went by Kylie. Um, and, it, and it never ceased to amaze me either how accepting everyone was, staff and students alike. Yeah, it's it's been one of those things that I feel like we've done a good job of kind of just assessing as we go. And even like in the group theater classes, now they'll like do a pronoun check pretty regularly. And um, yeah, it just is, a, it, it just happens, you know, like we move on, I don't know. It's like, it's not the story that I wanna tell anymore. You know, like, I don't know, like it's like, there's so many more interesting things. Like the fact that you are quite an artist. Let's talk about that. Like <laughs> everything that you like, okay. Cause I'm thinking about the first thing that I was teaching you was like chord structure, you know? Yes. At 12. And then you continued to just like grow. Like, I feel like I taught you nothing. Like, I feel like I just kind of like saw you at various points of your development. And I was like, yes, continue. <laughs> I don't think that's wholly true. I think I credit you a lot for like where I am today, you and the rest of interaction, but yeah. also mainly you. I mean, we've spent a lot of time together. Yeah. That, Talk, about true. Music. Talk about music, at, like, like performing ACDC and all. Oh my gosh. Uh, I still think that, I, I don't remember what year it was, but I, when we did a performance of Shoot to Thrill by ACDC was one of my all time favorite performances that I was ever included in. And I remember uh, when we first, when it was first brought to me, there uh, somebody said, "Hey, we need a vocalist for this song. It's ACDC. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. No, I, d I don't." And I was like, "Yeah, no. I totally see it. It's gonna be great. Like, please come and do it now." <laughs> and you were like, "Uh, okay." I'm voluntold. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it it was um it was great because it was an experience that I had never, it's not something that I would have done on my own. And it was something that uh, at the time felt really scary and really hard because it was out, it was really outside of my comfort zone to perform something like that. Because I, I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I first started music, I started with country. <laughs> I do remember that, yeah. <sighs> well, you've come a long way. I should hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but tell me more about like the fear and kind of anticipation that you were experiencing, like going into the band room they've been practicing oh my gosh they had the song down and you had to walk in and be like Shoot the damn, whatever the words yes. are right if you asked me to perform that today <laughs> i don't think i would be able to 
Um, but it, it's scary. I think anything is scary when you're walking into a, a group of people that's already established. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about, this is where you get to see a little bit of my education. Uh, in sociology, there's, uh, when we talk about groups of people, we have in-groups and we have out-groups. And an in-group basically means a group that you belong to. An out-group is a group that you do not belong to. And it's kind of formulated in this way where when you belong to an in-group, you see everyone who's not part of that group as not necessarily inferior, but as not belonging. Mm -hmm. And this is just a normal human thing. This is something that everyone does. And so when you're walking into a room where everyone is already connected to each other and already has a good foundational relationship and you're an outsider, that can be really intimidating. And it was intimidating because I was still at a point where I didn't believe in myself and I didn't believe in my abilities, which is something that I've only come to terms with in the last year or two. And so I'm walking, walking so big right now. Sorry. I'm like realizing this is actually a podcast and no one's going to be looking at my face. And here I am just like smiling and looking at you. <laughs> Keep going. Uh, walking into that room was definitely terrifying, but I think at the end of it was, it, it was a nice celebration at the end. We were all, I won't say friends, because that implies that we were actively hanging out and talking to each other, which I don't like people to begin with. <laughs> but you guys had chemistry. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, at the end, I think I stepped away from the mic, and I was like, <sighs> let out this deep breath, and everyone else was cheering, and oh my god, it was, like... Every, like everyone else behind me was like so excited that we had done this amazing song and I'm pretty sure it was like the finale like just before the group finale we were the last yeah. song too yeah. so it was like all this energy and it was so like coursing through us and I don't know it was great at the end so where else have you experienced that in your life oh my god um I will say that it's not just that song that I get stage fright. <laughs> uh, the first time I was, it was either the first or second year I was at camp, I did a song where I was on keys. And I messed up about four or five times. And I left feeling so awful. I'm pretty sure I went backstage and cried. And it was you, Hillary, (laughs) who told me, you came back and you found me. And you said, I'll never forget what you said. You said, um, you you said that just because I made a mistake doesn't mean that I ruined the performance. And really the only people who are going to know is myself and maybe the other bandmates. Yeah. And that made me feel better. (laughs) And that was kind of my first time performing, like performing, performing. And uh, I I still have a bit of stage fright, I won't lie. Getting on stage is 
scary. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I don't really perform music anymore, but I do a lot of public speaking. And getting up on stage to talk to however many people, even if it's just 20 people, it can be really intimidating. Yeah. (laughs) But like, okay, so this is the most, the coolest thing, because this is the constant thread that I have had in all of my conversations with interaction people. And it's just like that muscle memory that you develop from one skill, one experience becomes like transferable to every other moment in your life, right? Like you become just more capable of standing tall with people looking at you and to be comfortable with who you are and know what you have to say. And it's like to be able to stay collected in your breath. And that's like, all of that stuff is really difficult. It really is. And I think when people look at public speakers, especially those musicians as well, public speakers, anyone who's on a stage, um, when you look at someone who does it professionally, they make it look so easy. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the magic, right? Right. But when you do it yourself, it's really nerve wracking. All of those people looking at you and especially as somebody who has, um, a mental health disorder. Uh, I, I have generalized anxiety disorder, which means going into these scenarios where I am going to be looked at and where I am going to be uh, in my own mind. And this is something else that I've been working on is reconciling that uh, my perception of things are at times faulty because my brain is attacking itself. Um. <laughs> yeah, essentially. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Uh, yeah. Well, when you're in this scenario and you fixate on every little mistake, you say, oh, that sounded weird. Oh, my tone is off. You trip. I hope nobody noticed. There's a cliche statement that we think of all the time that is kind of hounded into us of you are your own critic Mm -hmm. and that is unfortunately true half the things we think about ourselves are not perceived by outside audiences and I don't mean audience in a stage I mean if you are talking to somebody and you think you sound weird or if you are you know ordering food at a, a takeout chain and you stumble over your words they probably haven't even into what you've done yeah so it's it's the inner critic in your head it's like the inner dialogue monologue dialogue probably yeah there's more than one voice in there let's be real (laughs) (laughs) Um, that yeah because like we are the ones who are pointing everything out to ourselves nobody else is thinking that there's like an infinite number of possibilities of things that anybody could be thinking of at any time and when I have come to realize that like the probability that so-and-so is thinking what I'm thinking they're thinking about me is so slim to none like it's really not even worth me spending any time thinking about 
Well, you know what else it is though? It's like, you think everyone else is thinking about you. Well, who am I? Yeah. Who am I that somebody's going to be thinking about me? Yeah. I had a thought this morning as I was walking home from dropping my kids off at daycare. Where I was like remembering an incident that had happened probably like 16 years ago. And I had this like gut reaction of like, oh, Hillary, like that was just like, inconsiderate or whatever you know what I mean like something dumb and then I was like if they're still thinking about that now that's on it that's on them (laughs) yeah but because I'm still thinking about this right now it's on me so I decided to stop thinking about that brains are a really funny pile of mush oh my god so how old are you now I turned 19 in October so I'll be 20 this year so just the fact that you are aware enough of the fact that you have an inner dialogue that is your own perception of the world and is full of your own insecurities and your own observances of yourself that nobody else is noticing like you are light years ahead of me I'm 34 and I'm just figuring this out now (sighs) well I will say that it's only really been in the past year or so that I've really improved in in thinking of this way or becoming more self-aware. And a big, I will credit a big part of that is the past. So in this September that just passed in September of 2021, I started going to school. Um, I'm in NBCC. I'm taking the social service community worker course which is kind of like above a human service counselor, but below a social worker. Okay. So I've been studying mental health and wellness. And even before starting school for the year before that, I've I started doing my own research into stuff like this just because it's always been an an interest and a passion of mine. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of like these dawning realizations or epiphanies comes from all of this research of like, what is self-awareness? What is the importance of self-awareness? And then half of my class, half of my coursework, I mean, I've done psychology, sociology, uh, counseling skills, friggin' lifespan development and it's all this amazing stuff that has given me this profound insight into who I am as a person yeah I just am so encouraged that this is the stuff that a they're teaching about mental health now b people of your generation are interested in learning about like this is what gives me hope for the future is your generation of people who are so self-aware so like in touch with their own emotions happening in real time and also of like your own boundaries and needs like the language that you all have created around around gender around Mm mental health and anxiety and depression like just the fact that we have words for this stuff now like it's because you have started talking about it you know on mass and i i think it's something that 
like when I was 15 or whatever, you know, we didn't really have the internet the way that we have it now. You know what I mean? Like it was like, (laughs) and, and when I think about like the real struggles that I was having as a 15 year old and, and how much I would have benefited from all of the language and resources there are now is just really astonishing. So I drawing this back a little bit towards interaction. Yeah, please. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it's such a fascinating, um, how do I word this? Community is such an important part of development. Speaking of bridging between like teenagehood and interaction, a space like interaction. Yeah. I don't know if you, you uh, when you were a teenager or at some point you're going to have teenagers oh my <laughs> who are going to say something along the lines of like, I have to go to this party because if I don't go, I will die. That's actually true. Yeah. To a teenager community and not just like young children as well, because I know that you have a, a, a range of ages in your programs. Yeah, yeah. But uh, speaking from the experience of somebody who was a teenager when they entered interaction or on the cusp of, um, it was such an important space for me because those connections made me feel like I wasn't alone. And that can drastically increase the mental health of like somebody who is suffering silently or doesn't have a lot of friends because it's common ground. You're with other artists, other creatives yeah i noticed on my pre-interview questionnaire when i asked you if you would consider yourself an artist you said no and my heart sank and i thought duh you're still being a teenager that's why but (laughs) well you have to ask yourself and this is these are the questions i love to ask myself just for fun how do you define an artist what is art yeah because I, I don't create, I don't write my own songs. I don't write my own music. I still play piano and I sing every day. And I'm a writer. I, I write short stories. But is that art? Yes. Because to me, art is, uh, besides the, when we talk about like subjective art, um, Art is when you create anything. Yeah. There was nothing. It came from my brain. I made it. This is art. Art is when you create something out of nothing. And so, yeah, I would definitely say that you're an artist. Well, I wanted to talk about specifically art uh, when we talk about when we talk about what is art, who is an artist. I also like to tie in the concept of artistic elitism. Mm. Um, if you haven't seen it, there's a fantastic documentary about uh, a filmmaker named Terry something. <laughs> I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but the documentary is called Exit Through the Gift Shop. And it's about this man who has an obsession with filming everything, who ends up uh, following around and recording street beast, prolific street artist Banksy. 
And uh, he promises, the reason he ends up following Banksy is, around is because he promises Banksy that he will, that he's filming a documentary and that he'll put together a documentary. But when it comes time to actually put together the documentary, Terry is not a professional video maker. He just likes recording everything. So it ends up being a, a display of surreal images, just one after another. And everyone is like, oh, this is terrible. And I ended up writing a paper on this documentary about uh, on, the, on the topic of artistic elitism. Uh, where I said something along the lines of like, well, what is art? If one takes a painting and places it into a gallery and gives it proper lighting, how does this change our perspective of the piece? Mm -hmm. If we analyze this idea, right, artistic elitism, uh, we can find that his original film, a display of surreal images, is something made of nothing, therefore it is art it kind of conjures images of, uh, to me, what it made me think of was Andy Warhol's soup cans <laughs> and the surrealist art movement because, uh, well, Andy Warhol's soup cans, which is a highly influential and heavily debated art exhibit features a serial representation of what was at the time, all 32 flavors of Campbell's soup and it was one of the first times that we had seen a mass production of art created by technology because it was a serial representation stamped on multiple canvases and then the flavor was changed. Right. It also, when I talk about the surrealist art movement, it made me think about a film called Un Chien de Loup, which uh, is a Franco-Spanish film. Uh, it's a surrealist short film by Spanish film director Louis Benuel and artist Salvador Dali. And it is just a display of surreal images one after another with no plot, no meaning. And if, if that can be considered high art because it has Salvador Dali attached to it, why can't this film by Terry, the guy who likes to film things, that's just a display of images, not, why is that not considered art? Yeah. Well, I guess like that's coming back to interaction. It's like, that's what I love about this place because it's non-competitive. There's no like stamp of approval that goes to some and not others, you know, like we're creating here for the sake of creating, like we're, we're creating uh, while we play and we're just like allowing ourselves to have fun and explore and tell different stories from different perspectives because it's interesting and it feels good you know like that's that's my mark of like art <laughs> it's like how it feels <laughs> while you're doing it <laughs> or how or when you're watching it like it's all about coming back it's all about how you feel yeah yeah and i love it. i know <laughs> you know and i'm like learning to love my feelings too